You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 588 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Monday evening. The draft is this week, and a man who is joining me today needs no introduction whatsoever, especially to Hawks fans, and he is the great Coles Wicker. What's up, man? It's going well. I'm uh, I'm doing better than Vecini, I'll just say that. <laughs> Sam's slowly melting down. Uh, we had him on, uh, I guess, at the end of last week, and people could uh, people could probably tell. We talked about it on the podcast. Uh, the brain is broken. Um, it's going to be uh, – we're pushing on to the finish line. I think – I got I, I can't speak for you, but I got sort of like a second wind today, knowing that it was draft week. It was like, all right, now it's now it's here, and we can just kind of clear out and push on to the finish line. Yeah, I, I didn't get that second wind, so <laughs> I'm still on fumes a little bit. So we'll see how I we understand. can pull this off. Yeah, part of it was that I, I had to travel for like a week plus, and uh, just getting home was kind of like, all right, let's let's just recalibrate. I, I'm definitely tired. We all are, but uh, let's just. Uh, Fire away. Uh, and, you know, you are well-known to Hawks fans. We're going to probably stay away from, like, pure Hawks talk on this pod because it's draft week, but it'll, I'm sure it'll make its way in considering we have to talk about fits and stuff like that. And everyone knows, at least all the Hawks fans listening to this podcast, revere your work because you are very high on the Hawks, and not everybody is very high on the Hawks, which is nice. It's got to be known in a positive light by one fan base. So uh, if I have to choose my fan base, I guess I'll go. Uh, I'll go the Hawks here. <laughs> I think you might be a, like a closet Hawks fan at this point, or not not even a closet. Like I think you're just like kind of out there as a Hawks fan, which is nice. <laughs> as, as much as one can be uh, when trying to be objective, I suppose. Pretty much, yeah. When you don't have a team and the Sonics aren't here anymore, you kind of just gravitate towards who's fun to watch. And obviously, I love Trey, so it works out. Yeah, it should be good, and uh, we'll talk about guys. I'm sure as we get going here. Um, Okay, well, I like to start off, and we're going to bounce around on this podcast, but I like to start off by asking you like, kind of what your overall thinking is with this draft. Obviously, this is a Hawks podcast, but it doesn't only have to be Hawks. Just I've asked everybody to kind of lay out how you view this class. I think everyone kind of agrees it's not the greatest class in terms of star power, but do you think it's got some depth late? How, how do you see the board breaking down, and then we can sort of drill down from there? Yeah, so... I think at the top of the class, just starting there, obviously Zion Williamson, tier one. I like to do tiers within each class, but I also like to do tiers relative to other classes comparatively. I think that just gives us a nice idea of where the value is. I don't think there's a tier two prospect in this class. I think I've said this before on the the podcast. Last year I had uh, Jaron Jackson. I would have had Trey Young and some other guys in there relative to this class. So it's lacking in that second tier star power. You know, John Morant, I think he could be that damn good but there's, there's a lot of variance with him he's not really pertinent to hawks fans but then you're looking at you know a bunch of potential contributors that are maybe contribute to winning but in lesser roles not in the kind of star caliber scoring that a lot of executives are going to draft on like the ball handler types like i really like brandon clark we'll talk about him Jared culver i think can be really good then you just work your way down goga batazzi i don't think he has any kind of elite upside for a center but i think he can be really solid starter grant williams you just kind of go through the list i think there can be solid maybe fourth or fifth guys on a good team potentially but there's not a lot of engines to an offense there's not a lot of premier skill sets like there's not a jaron jackson elite level shooter rim protector versatile defender 
You know, Brandon Clark's a good defender, but he doesn't have his length. He's not as young. So you just go on the list. There's not a lot of valuable initiator type players either. So no two way wings. Where's the elite shooting upside in this class of the elite prospects? That's the huge question mark with guys like Culver Barrett. Good on the list. So I think that's kind of where we are is like DeAndre Hunter to me kind of personifies this class is like a very solid guy who could probably be like a fourth or fifth starter, maybe on a good team. if things things go right for him. And that is kind of what we're looking at here. Yeah, which obviously is not terribly sexy on the whole. It's 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 always funny, and I've said this before on the podcast, so I'll say it again now, and I apologize for repeating myself, but it's one of those things where you know fans have the hardest time reconciling, um, especially top five to eight picks in this class, and like what you should expect from them. Because normally you're thinking, oh, I have a top ten pick, that means I'm going to get a really good, you know, potential star, even especially when you get in the top five. Like this, tra- the, the the notion of trading up into the top five for the Hawks is a popular discussion, as you well know at this point. And traditionally, if you're trading up into the top five, you're looking for a star or something that you can, I guess, potentially believe is a star. And in this class. You probably aren't doing that just because there's not really that star power there. So it's really it's really tough to compare and contrast between this draft and others and try to, I guess, provide rational expectations. Because if the Hawks indeed do pull off a trade up of some sort, um, they're gonna probably you know at least some portion of the fan base will have expectations of that player that are definitely unwarranted just because they're a top five pick, quote unquote. Because top five picks are supposed to be stars, and that's not gonna probably happen outside of uh, the top one, two, maybe three in this draft. Yeah, I think comparatively, just to compare this to another class, 2016, obviously Zion's a better prospect than Simmons, but you had that tier one guy, and then who the hell knows who's going to end up being like the second or third best player in the class. Like Siakam's the second best player in that class, and who would have guessed that? I think this is kind of a class like that. Obviously, I have some kind of gravitational pull towards Brandon Clark, not that they're the same player as Siakam or anything, but I just feel like it's that kind of class. It's going to kind of blindside you a little bit. It's not so obvious as like last year where, you know, top three players on my board went in the top five. I don't think that's going to how it's, that's how it's going to fall out long term. There's going to be a little bit more, you know, question marks and it might come from sources that you don't expect. Yeah, for sure. And we'll, uh, we'll drill down a little bit into, into those guys. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to the lottery. I've been doing this as sort of a, a trick to have people stay around, I suppose. But we'll, we'll come back and we'll end on the lottery, guys. So I, <laughs> I want to I ask you to sort of flip the script a little bit to talk about some of the second round options because you know the Hawks have these three picks in the second round. There was uh, Travis Schlenk, actually, I was not there on Friday, but he, he spoke to the media on Friday and said kind of candidly that they're going to be looking to package those picks and move up. Um, as, as candidly as a GM will ever be about, about packaging picks, uh, I think probably because everyone already knows it's going to happen. They have six picks. Um, so yeah, I'd be pr- pretty surprised if they actually made three second round picks at 35, 41, and 44. But, um, you know, provided that, that they stay somewhere in that, you know, 30 to 45 range, do you have guys um, that you obviously, obviously you do have guys that, you're, that you would want to gravitate towards in that range? But how's the depth in that range for you? And we can sort of talk about individual prospects. I think it's really solid, honestly, because this class we have two injury cases that push talent down the board, Chumo Kiki from Auburn and then Jonte Porter, of course, from Missouri, who from everybody I've talked to is probably going to go somewhere in the 40s. So right in that area where the Hawks have two picks potentially. So I, I like it from that standpoint, just because we see the inefficiencies in the in the past. Some of those are due to injuries and falling and then guys being healthy. Some of them are due to being out of shape. That would also apply to Jonte, even though he got better shape for the combine this year. So th- you can get some quality players there. I don't think I got asked this question on a different podcast. Does the draft drop off a cliff after 30 or something in the first round? No, I think no, you can still get yeah. good players in this range. Uh, maybe I will say like the shooting element that could dissipate pretty quickly. So if you look at guys like specialists like a Dylan Windler could 
go really early in the second round. Cam Johnson, I don't expect to fall out of the second round. So those specialist guys that are really just shooters, you're going to see the NBA gravitate towards those. We saw that last draft where there's a huge run on shot making point guards who are you know good off ball shooters. I think you might see a similar effect. But as far as value. I think there's going to be value at 35 and, and both p- picks in the 40s. It's just a question of, like you said, or, or the Hawks had to keep all those picks. And Travis Schlenk seems to play things pretty clear as far as like maybe not saying what he exactly is going to do, but he'll be pretty upfront about it and be like, oh, we don't want all three picks or we want to package some of these. So I think you have to take him at his word for that. Yeah, he's been pretty open. You know, famously, the last, especially last year, basically everything that we heard ended up happening. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that's always going to be the case. And I think Hawks fans <laughs> have fallen into the trap now to where anytime they hear anything, they assume it's going to happen because of how much of the leak stuff has happened over the last two years. Um, with that said, I, I've I kind of made fun of this already, but the Hawks have now been, um, I guess, predominantly linked to all three of the forward targets in the lottery. They've been, they've been linked to Hunter. They've been linked to Culver. They've been linked to Reddish. And now I guess maybe even some Goga and Jackson Hayes, like they kind of are making the rounds on reporting. So that actually makes it easier for me to just say, all right, ignore all this stuff and we'll just see what happens. Um, In the second round, obviously you're not going to get too many, you know, direct links unless you just hear something. But, you know, I kind of like the value in this range better just then I mean obviously the players are not going to be better than the lottery picks necessarily but just the value when compared to normal drafts uh, I think there's some there's some solid players and some, t- some solid rotation guys to be added here it won't be terribly sexy and I think they're not going to make three second round picks but there is some value and um you know I was going to ask you just as an easy way to get into this is there I think you you, you mentioned Okiki I think he's he's definitely an internet favorite I like him quite a bit as well is there anybody in this range that you think you're higher on that you know conceivably will go in this range that you think should go higher and then is there anybody that you're like decidedly lower on that is projected in this range I don't know about significantly higher. I think Carson Edwards would be an interesting backup for Trey, just with the dynamic pull-up shooting. Not nearly the passer, of course. I don't think he could run that system, but just as an another source of a backup point guard, I think this is pretty much where he's supposed to go. Not in the 40s, probably the you know starting in late 20s, early 30s, somewhere in that range. So I, I'm a little bit higher in him, I guess, than some of the mocks have been. I get the downside, of course, a lot of the the playmaking, but as far as shot making ability and like diverse shooting, I don't see a huge difference between him and someone like Kobe White. So that's just important to point out. I think I'm a little bit higher on a guy like Cody Martin, for example, like we talked about in the past. Definitely going to be more in the 40s to undrafted. I would I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was undrafted. But one of the smartest decision makers in the class. We've talked about Travis Schlenk obsessed with dribble pass shoot, making good decisions, hopefully getting guys more guys that can defend as wings. I think Cody Martin brings all of that, but some dicey shooting, and I think his shooting has improved. He's gotten better off the catch. Um, if he can hit NBA threes, I, I haven't seen him in workouts or anything. I haven't heard too many reports about him, but I feel like he really fits kind of the archetype of player that Travis Schlenk is looking for. So I really like him in that range. Again, I think the value with him is probably undrafted, but I would still select him. As far as guys that are in this range, I think Luguens Dort out of Arizona State is someone who I'm a little lower on. I can see drafting him in the top 10 or, or excuse me, the bottom 10 or the bottom five picks in the second round as someone who's just purely an athletic upside play. But I've seen him, you know, late first round, early second round. That's not where I would go. I think there's a lot of decision making issues there. doesn't make great choices on the fly as far as attacking the rim. Really gets tunnel vision, attacking the basket. He can, he's like R.J. Barrett on steroids when it comes to that. He just goes into three or four bodies, and it's pretty brutal. I think he's going to take a, a longer time to develop. You know, he's got 
a great work ethic. Um, he's working on his shooting. He's got kind of moonball mechanics, more like Sekou Demboya a little bit there, even worse. So if he irons out the shot, you can see some potential. I just don't really see the reward being worth the risk. Not like there's a ton of risk in this range, but I, I just think there's better options. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I knew you were lower on him, and I think I'm closer to you than where the consensus is on Dort. He's just an interesting, um, interesting thought experiment more than anything else for me. Um, I wanted to ask you about one guy specifically that I ha- I know I haven't talked about too much. In fact, I got a, I got a note from someone that I know listens to the podcast intently that said I haven't talked about this guy like at all, basically, and I wanted to ask you about him, and that's Lewis King of Oregon. People are kind of split on him. Um, I guess if you just watched him and looked at the measurables and all that stuff, people might uh, sort of like him, and then you watch him, and it's kind of frustrating sometimes. Do you? How do you feel about Lewis King as an option in the 30s, 40s kind of range? I don't mind him there, honestly. I'm not super high on him. I probably wouldn't draft him until it's like the later half of the second just because I like other guys more. But right. I think he's got better feel than he gets credit for as far as passing. I think he made some interesting reads at Oregon. Of course, he can shoot off the catch. I don't think his shot is super versatile as far as like off-movement, pull-up shooting. He can hit some pull-up shots, but not the highest release point. The thing with me is like his contact balance and his general balance as an athlete is pretty poor like he falls down so much and i'm always wary of those guys that lose their balance driving into the lane his handle is pretty mediocre it's not high level he has some moves i just worry about his ability to again like maintain balance on a closeout because that's what he's gonna be doing right is shooting off the catch trying to attack the rim i just don't really love him physically as an athlete even though he looks the part as far as dimensions and then defense of course it's tough to say in oregon's zone defense but for me he didn't make great reads off the ball i didn't think he did anything affirmatively well there and that's what you're looking for a lot of these college defenders is are they doing things affirmatively in the positive you don't have to be matisse thibel of course and show like ridiculous instincts or anything like that but he never really popped for me on that end are you a Tybal guy? I mean, you, you you mentioned him. Are you are you in on him? People are sort of split. Like, to, I know people that have him like in the top twenty, and then like outside the top forty. So it's like, where are you at with the theory of him? Is obviously de- as defense driven, but do you do you buy it translating in the way that it looks like it could? I do. I'm more of the top twenty variety. It's going to depend a little bit on fit. Like in the Bucks game, for example, his closeout range is just absolutely ridiculous. Like he can shut down an entire half of the floor with his speed and his length. Um, it applies great back pressure. That's things that like Pat Connaughton for the Bucks is great at that, getting around screens and blocking shots from behind. He's really good at all that. I think he can generate events. You know, get steals, blocks at a crazy rate. Way underrated as far as agility in space. You know, he's played in the zone, but he can guard one-on-one he's done that in camps like the nike camp uh he can slide laterally i think he's got really good hands he's got incredible anticipation it just comes out to the jump shot i think that's what everybody is so up in arms about and some of it's fair but i do think he has good enough indicators it's not like this guy's a non-shooter i mean i hate to do this to you but it's not like he's charles matthews and like there's nothing really on (laughs) there's nothing really on the page that would suggest that he's going to shoot the ball his he's got a softer touch so off the catch you're not going to get any diversity with him you're not going to get pull-ups you're not going to get off screens but i think you can get off the catch he's got underrated ball handling coordination a little bit of passing acumen more of a good decision maker than like the crazy passer he plays hot potato with the ball he doesn't want it that's his thing at uh, washington but he never played with a good point guard so i think there might be some hidden upside i'm just willing to take the shot in this chance because if he hits he's something like some iteration of danny green like a thinner version of that if, he, if he's good just with the defensive instincts and the athleticism so i'm a little higher but i'm a little bit more willing to take risks especially with shooting where the nba is not yeah i'm in on him too especially you know if he for instance if the hawks stayed at 35 and he was there i think that's a pretty easy decision just go ahead and take him and 
see what happens. Oh, yeah. Um, I think he probably will go before that, but uh, I guess it's, I guess it's possible if you look around the league and hear what people are saying. If people, I think the league might be a little bit lower, but I still uh, I like him quite a bit. Um, one more old wing forward, and that is Admiral Schofield. I want to ask you about because he's someone who I've talked about a lot, but not so much lately. He's kind of just gone silent because he's really boring and old. Um, but six five seven, seven foot wingspan um, and shot it well this year. He's an interesting player. I know some people just absolutely hate him. Like I know people on the internet think he's like not a prospect at all, and then you hear like maybe some people that think he's like in the thirties. Um, it's interesting because I, I kind of like him. I thought more than the consensus, but where do you what do you think about um, the I, I guess the other Tennessee player? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan, honestly. I mean, he does have some traits, NBA traits. Like he can come off a pit down curl and shoot mid range shots. He he loves mid range, and, and that's gonna turn a lot of people off. But he's actually pretty adept there. He might be able to hit a catch and shoot three. I've not sh- seen him shoot that many NBA threes when I've watched him play. I don't know about him in workouts. Uh, I think his defense is just overrated. You look at the frame and you say, oh, he's going to be uber switchable. He's not that quick twitch as far as staying in front of lead guards. If you watched him against Kentucky this year, everybody thinks that like P.J. Washington and beat the hell out of Grant Williams. That was actually Admiral Schofield that he was beating the hell out of in the, in <laughs> yep, the post. I agree. So I don't know who he guards on that end. If he's not going to shoot threes at a high level, I just don't know what value is bringing as a two-way player. The work ethic is great. He's a great kid. I think the intangibles are going to appeal to some team. He probably gets a two-way, but I'm not, I'm not that high on him. Yeah, that sounds like uh, what I've heard too, and I think I've, I've gradually become a little bit lower in watching him more. I like the theory of what he could be, but it's more theory than uh, actual practice, I think. Um, yep. Let's see. Oh, okay. So let's. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there to you. Uh, provided that the Hawks do not take a center in the lottery, which they could certainly do, I get a ton of questions about the guys that could go that could slip into the second round. And uh, for our purposes here, uh, I guess. We'll, we'll use Jonte in this group too. So Jonte Porter, I guess Bol Bol is potentially there. Bruno Fernando, Nas Reed, and Daniel Gafford. I think it's like the five sum of guys who who I, who I often get asked about in the thirties <laughs> or forties. Um, I'm not going to ask you to rank them, but uh, who's your favorite of that bunch, and who's your least favorite of that bunch? Oh, that's a great question. I think Jonte is still probably my favorite, just because he's so damn smart, and I value instincts and like quick decision making at such a high level, and he's really really skilled. Can pick and pop, you know, space the floor. I trust him above the break. And then defensively to rotate. I don't think he's going to be able to be a high-level defender just because he doesn't have that kind of athleticism. But I think he can get by with rotations. And the Hawks scheme specifically, I'm trying to look at. I think Bruno Fernando is actually kind of underrated. I just think he's poor man's Aiton. And, like, that doesn't really get you that far as far as projectability. Like, he's strong. He's really improved as a passer. Like, he can short roll pass. He can pass out of the post. Um, I think he has good touch, so he's going to be able to extend to three. He's improved on defense, but not very high level. I just don't know. Again, none of these guys really have avenues, except for maybe Bull Bull. It's just like this, you know, volume three-point shooter, Brooke Lopez role, where he just takes ten threes a game or something like that. Like, that's where his value would be, but I don't trust him at all on defense. I think he's untenable on that end. But to answer your question, <laughs> to answer your question I think I think Jonte, number one, and then last would probably be Nas Reed. Just because I just don't know. I know he can take volume threes above the break, but th- I don't trust him at all defensively. I don't trust him in any area of defense as far as, you know, in space. If you drop him, he's going to get exploded over because he can't jump at all. Uh, his rotations, I think he's a little bit underrated as far as his intelligence defensively at times. But he is just not athletic enough, and he is so sloppy on closeouts. Like, his technique is really poor. So I don't know what he really does at a high level. I love this ball handling coordination in high school. Like, he can really grab and go. And he's got one of the best ball handling coordination combinations I've seen for a big. But how valuable is that, really, if he can't defend? 
Yeah, I, and I think I'm almost lower on him for the Hawks than in a vacuum, just because of the defense. Like they they, they can't really afford to have a center that can't defend. That's not going to work with everybody else on the roster for the Hawks right now. So um, yeah. I think I'm with you on uh, on all of that. Um, and by the way, Hawks fans are going to love that you said Bruno Fernandez, Bruno Fernandez was, was underrated because uh, he is a guy that I found <laughs> Hawks fans really, really like. And it's like kind of curious. I'm not really sure why, but like people want to take him at like 10 and 17. Like <laughs> It's kind of wild to see the uh, the Hawks fan response. Not everybody, but there's this like segment of Hawks fans that really loves Bruno Fernando. So they're, they're going to like you even more now, Cole. And they already like you, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little bit of philosophy when it comes to centers is when do you take them high? Do they have a chance to be like an average center in the league as far as a starter? Like it's just a very diluted position. If they don't have outs to becoming in my opinion, some kind of impact player, or at least an average starter, then why are you investing that kind of capital in them? I totally agree. Um, just And we'll come back to this, by the way, for uh, the lottery stuff in a moment as well. Uh, one more thing before we move on to the first round. Is there a backup point guard option that you might like in the second round? Uh, there are not a ton of these guys that could be available. I know you mentioned Carson Edwards. I think he's going to go before the Hawks pick. Maybe if the Hawks trade up, he might be there. Um, do you like anybody else that could be there? Because that's that's one spot the Hawks fans tend to gravitate to because they just don't have one on the roster. Obviously, Jalen Adams is there, but he doesn't necessarily profile as a full time backup to Trey Young. Um, like Shamori Pons, maybe Ty Jerome Falls. Like, do you have do you have a backup point guard sleeper that you might uh, enjoy? Actually, there's three guys in this class for me that are all kind of interesting value plays at this point. You mentioned Shamori Pons, really great passer. Like he's so underrated as a passer. He makes some looks that nobody else in this class can um, can pass with both hands a little bit. He's not super dynamic off the dribble, but very shifty with his handle. His problems are mostly mostly size and athleticism related. I don't know how well he's going to finish. You don't know how good his pull up jumper is going to be over contests. But for me, he's the like there's two guys that can run the offense like Trey can in like a very poor man's version. One of those is Shamori Pons. The other one is Justin Robinson out of Virginia Tech. Uh, not a, a adept pull-up shooter. He, he mostly is more off the catch, but he's the best passer of this group. I think Pons is a little bit more creative. Robinson's incredibly good on the skip pass reads, though. Like he can really run an offense. He's more of like a fifth guard to me in the NBA with, you know, backup point guard upside. I just think he's really smart and cerebral, can play off the ball. He's got more strength with his frame. So that might be alluring. And then my ultimate sleeper is Justin Wright Foreman out of Hofstra. Just someone who is a dynamic shot maker off the dribble. Like if you go back and look at his numbers and just the film and everything, like this guy's like one of the best off the dribble shooting lead guards we've seen in the last like six or seven years. It's incredible on that team. Like he can hit it from any angle. He's got a really high release point. And I was actually kind of impressed with his passing craft. I went back and watched a lot of his tape and I was like, there's not really a huge difference between him and a Shamori Pons. And Pons has talked about a lot higher. I think that he's probably more likely to go late second round to undrafted, but he's a guy that has that shot making potential. And, you know, it's again, athleticism based. He's not going to create a ton of separation at times around the rim. How can any of these guys really finish at a high level, but pull up shooting, all of them can at least threaten. And I think as passers, you know, all of them are pretty damn good. So it, I, that's one of the strengths of this class to me. Backup point guards aren't super valuable, right. um, especially like if they're fifth point guards. But there's at least guys to look at in this range. Yeah, and it, it's a spot that the Hawks just don't have right now. So that's going to naturally uh, create some questions. And I think you answered that quite well. All right, uh, we're going to take a, sh- a short break and we'll come back in just a few seconds with more from Cole. All right, man, we're back, and uh, let's get into the first round a little bit here. Obviously, the Hawks have 8, 10, and 17. Almost no one thinks that they're, they're actually going to stay at those three picks. I suppose they could, um, but before we get into the guys who are already in those ranges, 
For instance, if they were to trade into the second round, uh, sorry, into the first round by using all of their seconds or maybe trading down on the board somewhere, um, you know, I haven't really talked about the guys that are projected to go in the 20s because there just hasn't been a whole reason to do that. But um, anybody that you see often mocked in that range that might be interesting to you, I think a guy like Kevin Gelly from Florida State's like seems to be fast rising and he's sometimes projected to the Hawks in some mock drafts. I'm not a huge fan, candidly, but like, you know, Cam Johnson's a guy you mentioned earlier that's a kind of a one trick pony, but it's a really good trick. Um, anybody else that you uh, might look at if the Hawks <laughs> were to wiggle down the board or wiggle up the board, I suppose? I mean, just from a value perspective, I love Grant Williams in that general draft range. I think he probably, I, was I mean, he. Yeah, I mean, he can be paired with Trey Young. I think that, you know, as a short roll guy for Trey, Trey's one of the only lead guards that can really unlock that for him with his pull-up gravity. So I love his ability to make decisions. Really smart, you know, team defender. Incredibly functionally strong. So I, I'm actually a little bit higher on his athletic upside. I think he can trim down a little bit, get in better shape, and, and just be more cut. We already talked about Thibault in that range. I like him generally in that general range of the draft. Nicholas Claxon's another big that we can talk about as far as probably the best switch big in the entire class as far as agility, movement skills, um, but more developmental guy. He's a guy that really needs to add weight, get stronger, and it might be a two- to three-year process. He's got to iron out his mechanics, brings the ball a little bit too close to his face. Uh, he's gotten a ton of pub recently because he kind of blew up the combine, and we saw the athleticism. He was one of the best players on 5-1-5s. I don't know if there's a huge difference between him and like a Bruno Fernando or or a Cabin Gelly, who I'm not a huge fan of. I, I do like Claxton more. I have him, you know, around the top 20. But if he's in that range, I think you can probably look at at least investing in him. And then finally, you know, to Cam Johnson. <sighs> Again, I don't know if he fits enough of the dribble type <laughs> that Travis Lake looks for in wings. Like he's very good. He's the best movement shooter in the class. And he was 46 percent on NBA threes this year. Like the guy can shoot the hell out of the ball. He's the best shooter in the class. So at a certain point. That becomes valuable, right? I just don't know. Can you play him next to Herder and Trey Young on the wing? I think that's a pretty tough sell. Yeah, I mean, th- those three guys wouldn't work particularly well, especially because of the defensive questions that um, that Cam has. But, you know, just value-wise and just having that elite-level skill, he'd be a, nice, a useful role player for anybody. I'm not sure it's going to be the Hawks, but I do like him in a vacuum. I knew you were going to yep. talk about Grant Williams. Grant Williams is an internet favorite, which I know you know. But, I mean, I've been saying publicly that, you know, there are scenarios where, I, where I, I think he would be the guy that I would choose at 17 uh, if the Hawks were still there. Like I'm not as high on him as some people are, but I, I have him in that mid in that, in that mid teens range, which I know is the, which I know is higher than the league is on him. And I think it's certainly possible, at least if it was me making the decision to take him at 17. I, I, I'm not sure where the Hawks are, Grant Williams, candidly, but he's someone who I think is generally underrated by the league, maybe overrated by the internet, which kind of it's kind of funny. He's like maybe <laughs> in that middle range. I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle, but I do like Grant Williams quite a bit. And uh, like, like you said, I think he unlocks a little bit in Atlanta. He's almost like a pretty good situation for him. It's, yeah, it's definitely a really good situation for him. I'm not sure how well he pairs with John Collins. That's kind of an undersized front line. But as far as offensively, they could do a ton of diverse things. And like Willie Williams is one of, if not, he's definitely the best big man passer in the class. Like he can make every read on the move, on the fly. At a certain point, I just think that becomes valuable. And he's a better athlete that gets credit for. I think he can shoot off the dribble too to a certain extent. But he's another one of those guys where the NBA is going to be lower because of the vertical pop and because he hasn't shown the ability to shoot threes in quantity in volume at Tennessee, but his touch is really, really good. So he's another one of those inefficiency guys, I think, in the class where if all you have to do is make pop, uh, pick and pop threes or catch and shoot threes, pick and pops are a little harder, but he's already shown the ability to do that. If you can do that, I, I think that you should be given more credit as a shooter just extending your range in that fashion. 
For sure. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to make you wait on, on Brandon Clark for a little bit longer. So let's not let's not use him right now because <laughs> he's actually been mocked in this range too, in seven in the 17 range, which is kind of crazy to me. I know it's crazy to you, but. Um, 17 is interesting in that, you know, I didn't spend a whole lot of time on 17 because they didn't have the pick until what, like less than two weeks ago, but now, now it's here and they could make that choice. Um, you know, do you, it's interesting. There's this, uh, it's kind of this dead zone in some ways, but I like some guys in this range. I like, I like the kill Alexander Walker. I like, um, Kelton Johnson as I think a guy who's probably fallen almost too far in some instances. Like, do you have, I know for you, it's probably going to be Grant Williams. I know, uh, which is why I want to get him out of the way first, but <laughs> anybody else in that range that you think is a good Hawks fit? Like I, I, there's no, there's nobody that I really like hate that's projected wildly in that range. I mean, I think I'm probably lower on Tyler hero than some people are. PJ Washington's available. He could be an interesting fit. Um, I'm not a Ruby guy. I know you're not either, but other than that, um, anything else that jumps out to you as a Hawks fit, that's why they projected to be available. And I guess, um, possible in that range well i think you're probably going to save him i'm not going to talk about brandon clark even though that's an option here um we'll i think that, you're we'll going to save that later it. yeah that's coming i think you're going to save this other guy for that point too but i think there's a real chance that gogo batazzi is at the spot i think in a lot that of that would be such a seen, home run such a exactly. home run if it felt so like. i wanted to start there because if i had to bet on it right now it's either him or clark goes 17 if i just had to bet on just based on who's going to be in that range the likelihood of it we see espn came out with their mock today um gogo went 19 to the spurs so I really do think there's a legit chance because you look at a lot of the teams in this range, uh, Minnesota, you have Boston with Horford if he stays there, Detroit with Drummond, you know, Orlando, they just drafted Mobamba. There's a lot of teams that just drafted centers and are My, not going to take. With, Miami with Bam. Yeah, they're, exactly. all, they're all over the place. Yeah, so maybe Charlotte, um, who knows, they have a ton of centers. I, I doubt they go that way. So it would really have to be, in my opinion, a trade-up by another team, which is definitely possible, right? In this range, you can see a team trade up for Goga, but there's a real chance that he's there at 17, and I think he's an awesome Hawks fit. I mean, he is probably the best pick-and-roll big in the class right now as far as legit center size, can pick-and-pop, can dive on a short roll. I think his coordination's underrated, can make skip-pass reads. Um, has pretty good agility, actually, with the ball. Like He's, he's underrated in that fashion. He's more of a drop big, though. We've talked about this before. Um, he's not going to come out and really extend on the perimeter. I think he really tr- struggles to change direction um, north-south on closeouts. I don't love his balance in space. He's very good in drop, though. He's he's good at understanding angles, like ball and man positioning. I don't know if you can play that drop coverage with Trey Young and him just because Trey's not going to get over a screen. But it's worth taking, I think, d- offensively with that double high with Goga popping and then you have you know Collins diving to the rim with Trey. I think that could be pretty lethal. Yeah, I mean, at 17, it becomes kind of a no-brainer, honestly. Like, I, I would certainly be considering him at 10, like, to the point where I think I'd, I'd probably almost be taking him at 10 at this point with the way the mocks are, have gone. But, yeah, at 17, it becomes a no-brainer. Same same with Clark, who we'll get to. Either one of those guys get to 17, it becomes very easy, even without the perfect fit stuff, especially with Clark and Collins. I know that's kind of a questionable fit in some ways, but um, the value is just too good if those guys fall there. Um I wanted to ask you, I haven't talked about this guy a lot either. Are you a Kevin Porter guy if he were to fall? Um, not really. I think it depends on who else is on the board. I'm generally not as high. I'm more skeptical when it comes to prospects. A lot of guys are generally optimistic and I'm more pessimistic and skeptical. He's a total wild card. I, I don't know what to do with him. I am uh, totally on board with that, and I, I've been saying this forever now, but he is a player that I am just predisposed to not like very much. I am not, um, just my, my own prospect evaluation, if I have a weakness, it's that I probably undervalue, like, 
on ball shooting creation stuff. Um, I, the, the guys who just do that and don't do much else uh, scare me a little bit uh, always. And that I think he, you know, he's probably more talented than I'm giving him credit for. So I'll say that. But th- there's a lot of risk there, and I'm not sure that just the archetype. Um, it's one that appeals to me, but you know, at 17, it's, it's perfectly reasonable. I won't say that it's not because it is, if they just want another wing there versus if they, if they went with a, with, with a big in the top 10 and just want to take the best wing available at 17, it might be Porter. That wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, do you like Porter better or Keldon Johnson better? For instance, I think I would go with Porter's upside just to see what the hell it is. Like, I, I don't know what <laughs> Keldon Johnson's upside is, frankly, like as far as he's so really boring. Impact. He's so yeah. boring. I mean, he, I think I trust him to shoot better off the catch. Like, I like his mechanics more, so he can make a catch and shoot three. I'm more confident about that. But defensively, I think he's overrated. He tries really hard. So it's like the Colin Sexton effect where you look like you're working really hard, but you're not really containing the ball. Like, I see a lot of that with him. Offensively, you know, he wasn't a great passer. We didn't see a great handle. He's a little bit overrated as an athlete overall. So you're going to I think exactly you're going to like him just because he's so his approach. He's very physical. He's very tough. Like if you watch the Kentucky game uh, against Duke earlier this year, he was really the only one that looked like he belonged on the floor with the Duke guys. He was really trying getting into RJ and stuff like that. So he's one of those guys that's going to stand out, especially with the pedigree. But I don't know what the hell he does in positive fashion. It's hard for me to imagine him with any kind of real legitimate upside. Yeah, I mean, I like I like Johnson more than some just because of it has more to do with the league itself and that you just, you know, even guys who aren't inspiring on the wing, if you could just hold up on both ends of the floor and not kill you, there's some real value in that, which isn't it's like the least sexy endorsement of all time, but like, you know, <laughs> there if you could, if you could tell me there's a guy who's average on both ends of the floor, that's a rotation player on an NBA team on the wing, if it's a wing, because, you know, wings are just in high demand. So if you think you can be that or better than in the mid first, late first, then sign me up for it. I get it. Um, it is very boring. Like I, I try to put together this, <laughs> the, the most boring draft imaginable for the Hawks. It would be like DeAndre Hunter, um, Keldon Johnson, and I'm not, I don't know, maybe, maybe Grant Williams. I'm not really sure who the other guy would be, but um, those two guys would be involved. Just the, the, the boring draft of all time. Uh, and I'd probably like it more than more than a lot, than a lot of people would because I'm the same guy who liked the Torian Prince DeAndre Bembry draft, and they were both like 22 year olds. And I was like, oh, that's good. I like that draft. It actually worked out pretty well for the Hawks. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> and so, you know, oh, also like Eric Pascal, another su- super boring player that I kind of that I kind of enjoy. Uh, maybe maybe I'm just uh, predisposed to liking the boring guys. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Actually, I have Pascal uh, in the first round later on in the first. So I, I get the allure with him. I think he goes probably starting at the Sixers at 24 into that range. But I understand your argument. I've I've said this to Vecini before because he made the same exact argument for Keldon. I said, I think that's DeAndre Hunter that you're describing. I don't think DeAndre Hunter is like this impactful guy on either end. He's a much better on-ball defender. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think sure. he's like Kawhi yeah, Leonard on the ball. You he's, know what the, I mean? he's, the, he's the better version of what I'm of what I'm what I'm saying. Just someone exactly. who really who can like not taking anything off the table and just yes. be like slightly above average on both ends. That's a yes. uh, good player but um so not a traditional top five pick but probably top five pick in this draft <laughs> i'm not sure yeah so that's where i'm at with him like i think keldon falls short of those thresholds like i'm with that logic when it comes to to hunter i have him as a top 10 guy in the latter half of the top 10 but keldon it's kind of like i don't know if he meets quite the thresholds that i look for i totally understand uh all right before let's, let's get into some lottery guys now 
We'll save Brandon Clark one more time, and I'm going to ask you about Jackson Hayes <laughs> because uh, you know you know it's been a debate raging um, in Hawks with Hawks fans and other fans, I'm sure, between Goga and Jackson Hayes as the two you know centers that are projected in the lottery in some circles. Um, we talked about Goga earlier. How do you feel about Jackson Hayes? He's very interesting, and for the Hawks, he's often linked to the Hawks for in, the, in these mock drafts. But fit wise, him and Collins is something that I would uh, be curious about. So, how do you see that as a potential fit? Yeah, I think Hayes is more of a multi-year developmental guy. Like, he has to get stronger. He got bullied, even though he has a very good frame. I think that's going to come. He's going to get a lot bigger, and his movement skills are just absolutely ridiculous. Like, he obviously moves a lot better than Goga. He's incredibly fast. Kind of runs the floor like a wing. Not as explosive as he gets credit for. More of a fluid athlete, but he has an incredible catch radius, incredible hands. You know, his former, he was a football player, so you can really see that on the floor. He catches literally everything. I think his skill game is honestly a little bit underrated. He just doesn't get a chance to do very much in Texas. Is a system. All he does is pick and dive to the rim, and he gets hedged by and like chipped by a bunch of guys because they have no spacing. So he he doesn't get a chance to do anything. If guys that listen to this podcast want to actually watch him, watch the Oklahoma State game this year where they actually trapped Texas's ball handler in pick and roll. So you got to see Hayes on a bunch of short rolls, and so he actually was able to dribble and like make passes on the move. We saw him grab and go a couple times just in transition, and he looked really fluid. But um, I think for me, I look at him. I, I also incorporate stats and. In- into the process, of course, and you look at his rebounding numbers historically, and I don't think there's been one good defensive center that's come from those lower numbers. It's like, so bad. And that's not scheme related. <laughs> it's yeah, so bad. That's not scheme related. I will yeah. say, like, the assist percentage, I think that is some of the system that's suppressing that because his role is just literally as a play finisher, but the rebounding and, like, the toughness, boxing out, all of those issues, I think, are pretty real. And it's just a little bit of a risk because if you're drafting him for defense, right, you're not drafting him for offense. He doesn't have the mechanics yet to shoot threes. That's going to be a multi-year thing. So I'm, I've lowered on him a little bit. I love him as an athlete. I love his fluidity. I, I think he has some upside, but that's the rebounding and like the toughness and like the physical approach is just one thing where for an archetype like his, you want to make sure that's there. If it's not there, I, I just get a little nervous. Yeah, if you want to make the pro Hayes argument, it probably comes from the fact that he was sort of a late riser. He was not a big man as as a kid, etc. Yep. But it's still like he's really young. But I'm with you on the uh, on the questions to be sure, and you have to answer them. You know, great hands. His hands are ridiculous, but um, unreal. Other than that, there's not too much in the established camp of what he's already going to be. So I want to put that out there. Okay, uh, let's get into the next tier, and this is interesting to me. I'm going to group these guys, sort of, and I know you have Brandon Clark ahead of the other two guys I'm going to ask you about, but um, we'll save Cam Reddish for a moment, but there's this Sekou Demboya, Nas Little, Brandon Clark kind of mini-tier, and they're not the same kind of player, but those guys are often projected from like 9 to 13, somewhere in there. Um, how do you feel, I know I know you have Clark at the top, <laughs> at the top but uh, <laughs> how do you feel about Sekou and Nas and then uh, incorporate Brandon Clark as you see fit? Yeah, Seiku is, to me, he's always been kind of more of a second contract guy. So, like, the wing version of Jackson Hayes, uh, I see realizable upside. Like, I really like the fluidity that he plays with as far as athletically. I don't think he's Siakam. You're going to get that comparison a lot now. Oh, and yeah. He it's doesn't it's ha- all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> like, he doesn't handle the ball as well. He doesn't have that ability, you know, in tighter spaces, and that's a big deal. That's part of Siakam. He can really attack you in face-up settings. I don't think... Demboya that can do that in tighter confines. We see it in more of the 
transition play where he's really fluid. He did hit those two pull-up threes in his 35-point game that I saw. I have not seen that from him before. I do think he's underrated as a shooter. Um, we're going to see that too with Nas Little when we talk about him. But I think Sekou's touch is pretty decent. Like He can hit a catch-and-shoot three. I don't think he's like the most switchable guy. Like He looks like he is, but his technical defense, for one, is atrocious. Um, and that's something that the NBA usually improves upon over time. So maybe he gets better. But it, like his closeout defense is horrendous. Some of the decisions he makes on both sides of the floor, like he makes some incredibly premeditated reads. So I don't know how much of a playmaker he is fitting into that decision-making, dribble-pass-shoot. I don't really trust him with a bunch of those things right now. So it's more of a developmental guy. I don't think he's the kind of athlete, though, as far as explosiveness, that is maybe his reputation. He's more of a fluid athlete to me. Yeah, he, he is. And, you know, I'm not super high on him. I, I, I think I got a, a little bit higher as the process went along because he started playing better more than anything. Some of his tape's yep. not great. It's just what it is. He's very young. And I, I see the projection that, that people see, but if you're just watching to see what he is now, he's he's kind of far away. I mean, I know he had the, the the one big flash at a good time when people were paying attention to him with like a 35 point game in front of a, a larger viewing audience. But um, aside from that, some of the tape is just not that good, um, and that's why I have him a little bit lower. Like I I prefer Little. That's not a huge re- I guess re endorsement of Little. I I think I am a little bit higher on Little than some people are, but I, I do prefer Little to Seku. And part of that is just it's going to take a minute, I think, for it to work, if it, if it works. And there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you're a team like the Hawks that has multiple picks. If you believe in him and his upside, I guess the runway could be there for you to take the swing on him. I just wouldn't be the one to do it, probably. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And in regards to Nas Little, comparatively, I think Little added way too much strength too quickly between the AAU circuit and college. You saw him really bulk up, and he looked a lot more robotic as a mover. You know, watching him in AAU levels and, like, the All-Star Circuit, of course, I really liked him. I mean, I had him two coming into this year. I didn't assess feel or anything like that. It was more just based on straight athleticism and like what his skill level was. But he was a much more coordinated athlete as far as dribbling, um, shooting pull-ups. He just looked a lot better. He tweaked his release this year, bring it to the side of his head. I don't know why he did that. I, I thought his release was awesome at lower levels. So if he can get back to that physically... I get more of the appeal with him, even though, again, I don't think he knows how to play basketball. He's a great kid. Um, one of the strongest character guys in the class. I, I really like him personally, but I, I don't know how well he feels the game. He was behind all year as far as mental processing on North Carolina, especially team defense. Those guys always, you know, they're scary. If they can't really just be like dynamic switch guys, and his balance was so poor this year, both attacking closeouts offensively and lateral agility wise. So if he... To me, the key with him, if you're going to make the upside argument, it's like this guy's going to become like an unreal shot maker. If you're like the tip top upside, uh, because that's that's the area of the game where you can get away with the most as far as sacrificing feels. If you're just a crazy shooter, um, if you can shoot off the dribble, you can get your shot. I'm not saying he's going to be like Kawhi Leonard or anything like that, but like a, a kind of player that's just an incredible shot maker. So to believe in that upside is just a tough sell for me. And I don't really like to bet on guys high in the draft that don't have great feel and i think that unfortunately personifies little yeah that that is definitely uh the argument against him to be to be very clear like i, I think the reason i like him more than some people do is just the the theory it's more the theory and the fact that i just i'm placing a bit a, a big premium on wings and forwards and yeah part of that is just you know the way the game is going but um i totally see all of what you're saying with little it may not work i mean he just the, the feel is not there right now and if it doesn't get there then he's not 
I don't know. It's, he's he's not skilled enough to overcome the complete lack of feel. Like if it doesn't improve, then it's just not going to work. He's not that good of an athlete. He's not that good of a, of a skill guy to where he can just have sort of overwhelm you with something else. He's going to need to figure some stuff out on how to play, which a lot of these guys are. But his he's even further away. And I know he's young. Is he still eighteen? I think he might be still eighteen. He's very young. Um, but regardless, he's uh, has a long way to go too, despite being you know the more traditional route of you know one and done top five prospect kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's going to take a developmental system that's really patient with him and you give him multiple shots. If he's a guy that, you know, coaches get frustrated with his decisions early and he rides a lot of the bench and he doesn't get playing time, I think that's a problem. Yeah, I can see that um, for sure. Okay, it's Brandon Clark time. I, I made you wait long <laughs> enough, Cole. Uh, I know you're all in, which I totally understand. I like Brandon Clark as well. I want you to talk about him uh, in a vacuum too, but how do you see the fit beyond that? Because that's one of the big questions that people have. I think it might work with John Collins, but I do see the people that are worried about that because they, um, you know, they're both probably fours at this point in time. And Brandon Clark has, you know, the measurables, all that fun stuff. So weave it all in. I'm, I'm letting you just open the floor, <laughs> and uh, he's your guy. So go ahead and fire away. Yeah, so I definitely get the fit concerns with Collins, especially just the general size, like Clark with a six eight size six eight wingspan um he's much better than collins defensively though i think he's the best or oh, one of the best certainly. help defenders in the class yeah, yeah so that's the allure with me and like again we're very matter of fact when it comes to team building like i don't build around anybody that's not like a star upside player so like when i look at the hawks i look at trey young and i'm like what do you need to give him for him to be successful and i look at someone like brandon clark as a help defender who i think has you know one of the highest upsides in this class to be like not not necessarily like a, an all NBA defender, but incredibly valuable on in that end, especially off the ball, making rotations. He's got incredible range, some of the best shot blocking timing you'll ever see. He's so explosive and quick off the floor. It's the quickness off the floor that really allows him to compensate for his lack of wingspan. This is why you see a guy block six shots against Duke. And those are like guys that usually have the athletic advantage. And Brandon Clark was like one of the only guys this year that actually looked in the same plane as Zion Williamson. So I think his defense is going to be legitimate as far as if he can iron out some of the technical issues. He he does suffer from that time to time. His, his footwork, his stance off the ball, that's going to take some time to improve. But offensively, I think he's underrated too. I think that you watch his, you know, his tape in the Mountain West Conference and you see him execute incredible burst dribble plays where he he's coordination is just absolutely ridiculous his spin moves he's a bit redundant with that of course he goes left to right spin basically every time i think i saw him do it a hundred times on face-ups in all three years it's very predictable because nobody could stop it at that level but i like him in face-up attack situations uh he's a great finisher he can kind of catch lobs like collins he's not as big but he's crazy explosive he has that kind of lob catch radius and then i get the, the big selling point with him and the, why there's so much differentiation i think there's two things the first is of course the shooting and a lot of people not buying that he didn't even have real basketball mechanics for the first two years of his college career he shot from the side of his shoulder and like a grenade launcher rocket launcher it catapult fashion it was unreal like i've never seen a basketball player have success with that so i think i throw that out the window and i look at this year where first year he's had like a decent mechanical shot and he was pretty decent from the foul line. He had good touch. He has incredible touch. And that's why I would bet on him off the catch in time. And I think the second part is just understanding what a high level functional athlete he is. And we're talking about elite, like elite for the last like 18, 19 years. He was one of the best testers at the combine six, eight or over we've ever seen. 
frankly, it was him and like Joel Ballum boy, <laughs> which is not a great comparative point because like he doesn't have the skill level to, to play in an NBA floor. But we're talking about a six eight guy who was 90th percentile in the history of the combine in lane agility in max vert standing vert. You just don't see that. And then it plays out on the floor in like basically every fashion as far as lateral agility. Or he talked about the leaping, the quickness off the floor. So just be able to contextualize what a good athlete he is. Like, I think I got some pushback from some Hawks fans yesterday that said, like, oh, what's the upside with a 22-year-old? Um, it's it's like, okay, well, one, like, he's a better athlete than anybody else we're talking about. Like, he's the second best athlete in the class. You know what I mean? So I, I think his developmental arc, he, he has an upward ascension right now. I think he's going to get better. He's going to improve. He has the work ethic. Like, who would have said that Siakam had upside or someone like that? You know what I mean? So I think we got to give more credit to older players at times especially guys who started off a little bit slower and then are getting a ton of momentum, those guys can also get better. Yeah, I mean, I've always liked Clark more than the consensus. You know, obviously not more than not more than you by any stretch and not more than some people <laughs> that do this. Uh, I, I do like Brandon Clark. Um, you know, the, the concerns are what they are. I mean, the shooting is something that I kind of buy a little bit more. It's the the lack of length to scares people in the age. I like older prospects in general, and I, I get made fun of it. I get, I get made fun of for it, probably uh, justifiably. I usually uh, overrate guys who maybe should be downgraded because of their age, and Clark is a little bit older. But the the explosiveness is what really intrigues me, and the defensive instincts and all that stuff. That's what really gets to me why I like him. The offensive side. Kind of worries me a little bit more, um, just because of the fact that you know I'm not sure how it's going to work. I mean, I'm not saying that it can't. I'm saying that I, I'm not sure and confident about about how it's absolutely going to work. And if it doesn't yeah. work, then you have this you have a six eight guy who's a defense first player that might it might get run off the floor a little bit. It's just it's interesting to me. You know, I had when I, when I had Brian Schroeder on, we talked about Brandon Clark and he loves him too, and you know. The Collins thing is interesting to me because I'm with you 100% that you build your team around elite level players, and I'm not sure I put Collins on that plane. But at the same time, Collins' offense this year was legitimately awesome and impressive. And the fact that he took another leap on that end of the floor, you know, even on the perimeter, like his jump shot looks to be legit now, and the way that he finishes, and he's obviously just you know bigger and longer than Brandon Clark is, and it, it shouldn't be Collins versus Clark. It doesn't need to be that because obviously Collins is already on the team. But just fit wise, I mean, the question is, I suppose, can they play together and function on a regular basis? Is kind of the that, that's where that's 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 where my question would be because you know some of these mocks have the Hawks taking Brandon Clark and a center in the top seventeen, and it's like man. If you're going to draft it, draft either either Gogo or Hayes and Brandon Clark, and you have Collins, and you have Amari Spellman, and you have Alex Len, and I know some of those guys don't really matter, but like it's just a weird team building function. And I'm definitely best player available guy. Like if Brandon Clark's there at 17, you just take him. I'm, I've said that, and I'll say it again now. But just at, at the end of the day, can those guys play together is a question that I, I guess I have to ask you. Yeah, no, I I definitely get that train of thought. I I don't think you can play like a traditional center with Collins and Clark. I think that's what I mean. For, I mean it's all, you, you, those guys have, they almost have to be your four or five together. And I've long been on the uh, Collins could play the five bandwagon, and maybe Clark would help that. I don't know. It's it's tough in some ways. Yeah, and I think honestly, you can mix and match a little bit. You can start a center, and you can play Collins and Clark for large. I mean, maybe not large stints of the game, but like 
sense where you can get away with it, especially in the regular season. And then the playoffs, a lot of teams downsize anyway, if you're projecting forward that way. So I think it is possible. You're not going to always be able to do it. Like when you play the behemoth centers, you have to get kind of get lineup versatile there and start a bigger player at the five. But I think it's more workable that way, especially against a lot of lineups that you see in the regular season. So I don't see it as completely untenable. If we're talking about who's going to get contracts eventually and like how you're going to allocate resources to building a contender. Yeah, I think maybe you have to reevaluate depending on you know who's going to get what. Is, is Collins going to get a max offer? Um, what's Clark going to get? I think Clark, that's what's kind of alluring to him. But for me in this class is like I don't ever see him getting paid a lot unless he deserves it. You know what I mean? Like he's that kind of low pedigree guy who's older that if he does hit, like he's going to be worth it. So that's what I like about him is you're not – like I know that's getting too far ahead of this as far as is he good step one step two contract but like if he does reach that step two I do think that he's either gonna be like what he gets is gonna be warranted based on his production and that's kind of what I like you're not paying for the pedigree of him yeah I, I totally get it and um, you know I would consider a Clark at ten for sure and I would uh, flatly take him at seventeen without without thought which I'm you know even with the fit stuff you just take him. Uh, I'm not sure if you have a board out there publicly. Is he he's in your top five, right, Brandon Clark? Yeah, he's in my he's in my second tier with Morant, um, Culver, RJ, and him. I haven't really ironed out a, a specific order, but I think Morant's going to be two, Clark three, Culver four, RJ five. So I want to I want to get that out there just to, just to show how high you are on him. Um, I am not yes. that high, but I I do understand it. Um, you know, I have him more in that like nine to eleven range. But listen, I have uh, no qualms with where you are in general. Uh, all right, well, let's get into the wings and the forwards because that's the guys who everybody wants to talk about before we get out of here. Um, we'll start with Reddish, who is the most widely projected guy if the Hawks don't trade up. Everyone seems to, everyone, and I mean everyone, is projecting oh, Cam yeah. Reddish at number eight if uh, if the Hawks don't move up. A, does that make sense to you? And uh, B, what do you think about Cam Reddish in general? It does make sense to me. I think this is his best fit in the class Honestly, like if he goes to any other place, like if Reddish somehow goes to five to Cleveland, I would not like him at all. Like it's it's a very for me, it's a very system oriented. I want to see what his surrounding environment is playing next to Trey and, and Herder. I think in a more ancillary role offensively where it's kind of like Duke. Hopefully he shoots better and you get better efficiency. But I don't want him initiating the offense. I don't want him playmaking. I don't love his handle as far as his shiftiness goes. You see the highlights of him and his shot making as far as his step back ability. Like he does really flash that. But there's it's overwhelmed by negative evidence of his handle and like his lack of first step, his athleticism attacking, especially downhill and traffic. Uh, just not a very explosive player overall. But I do really like him on the Hawks. I think the Hawks can really maximize him. I don't think he's the kind of wing stopper. Ultimately, that's going to be great next to, to Trey and Herder, but I think his defense is actually underrated and his offense is overrated. He's very good off the ball as far as getting in passing lanes. He's got the frame. He's got good enough feet. He's more like Covington. Not going to be that, probably that level of team defender, but as far as on the ball, athletically, he's that's more of what he reminds me of. Like There'll be certain matchups where he's hurt and he, he can't really guard in space. He gets picked apart a little bit, but I think he's going to be solid enough on that end. So I like him in more of like an off-screens role when he can come off a down-screen curl, he can shoot. Um, his passing isn't great as decision making but it's probably a little bit better than you got to show at duke he was better at the prep level as far as his passing goes that's why everybody thought he was like tracy <laughs> mcgrady coming into this year somehow um, yep. he's definitely not that and i don't think he's like this high level he's not paul george he's not that level of athlete but i do like him on the hawks 
Yeah, I was going to ask you. I mean, I like I like his defense too, um, more than a lot, a lot of other people seem to like his defense. My question to you is, and this is something that is really just for Hawks fans, because every time I am accused of being too low on Reddit, which is kind of silly, because like <laughs> all, my, my my crime is saying that I think I'd rather have Hunter than Col- Hunter and Culver, which is not even a hot take at all. Um, but the, the the response is, well, Reg has all this upside, and I don't really see the upside argument all that much. I get no. it from a prep level and the mixtape stuff that was out there with Ken Reddish and the fact that he was seen as this high upside prospect, but what is his upside in your opinion, like realistically, like 90%, not even 100%, like what's his 90% outcome look like for, to you? Maybe like Robert Covington who can shoot off the dribble or something, which is a really good player, but it's not like a crazy... Oh, yeah. Crazy high level, but it's very effective. Like, I don't think he's going to be that good on defense, of course, but like 90%, I would say he definitely has more offensive upside. Like, he can do more of the ball. He can actually dribble. Like, Covington can't do that. So, combining him, I don't know. It's tough. Like, there's not really a player that really sticks out to me as far as comparatively, but I do think that it's not like considerable upside. He's not like an all NBA player, like an all star. His athleticism, again, is just overrated. Like, I'm sorry. Like, he, he you, you don't get blocked at the rim if you're like a 6'9 wing and you're attacking downhill and you have a, a weak side defender in the dunker spot who hasn't even made the rotation you can't even elevate enough to dunk and you get blocked from behind like that's not an nba athletic play like he's like a fluid athlete but his explosiveness is just people got to forget about the t-mac and all of these like bullshit comparisons that he's been as far as his ceiling that's not it as far as on the ball i think more it's like what he can do as a shooter off movement and how he fits into a team construct that way yeah, I'm I'm with you on this, and that's I wanted to you know I, I try to say what I think as well, but sometimes sometimes people just want to hear it from other people. I just don't. That's my thing. I do like Reg. I have him in my top ten. If the Hawks take him at eight, I will not criticize that move at all. It's a perfectly reasonable pick. I just don't see the star upside that I always hear from from fans, and and I get it. Um, just the theory of it, because and that's the same thing with Nas Little, by the way. Like. Any, anytime guys are ranked in the top five as prep guys, they're going to just carry on and they get, they get more chances. That's just the, that's the nature of the game. Um, and Reddish, I do like, and I think his floor is almost more intriguing to me because of his size. And I mean, I think he's going to shoot. I know the shooting wasn't great, but like, I mean, yep. do you agree with me? I think, I think he's going to make shots in the NBA. I just, no, I'm, a, I'm in lockstep with everything you said. Yeah. I think that the floor and like the shooting, and I, I do think his shot is diverse. Like he can shoot it in different ways. Like he's not great off movement, but I think he's going to get to be, competent there he's not like herder was coming out of college but i do think he can shoot off some curls and i do trust him off catch and shoots the problem with him is like you can see the the split between his unguarded and his guarded shots and it's really high like he's a very good shooter when he's open and that's okay for the nba especially playing with atlanta system this is why i like him so much there is because trey's gonna find him He'll get open looks. I think those, but when pressed up on one on one, and you know when closed out hard on, I think he's going to have some problems there as far as both converting those looks and then attacking closeouts. But I, I generally agree. I think when you have the kind of pedigree that these wings came into the draft with, it's hard to lose that. The, the youth combined with the athleticism and the shooting acumen, you think that maybe this the upside is higher. But Reddish isn't really a high field guy either, so I, I don't really see him being the player that a lot of people think he is like the player, the guys that you see have him ranked in the top, you know, three or four, they're probably seeing a lot more of the highlights rather than like the consistency of his play. Yep. That makes uh, perfect sense. Okay. Before we get to Culver and Hunter, um, any chance in your mind, if for instance, something, someone fell, like should the Hawks even consider taking someone like Kobe white, if he fell to eight, 
I would I'm on, say I, I'm on record as no. <laughs> just, just, just for me, I, I always say no to this question, but I always want to ask it everybody else because there are some fans that want to just take Kobe White. They're like his shooting. I'm like, I understand he can shoot, but do you want him to be a full time shooting guard? Because if you don't think he's a full time shooting guard, you can't take him in the top ten. I'm sorry, can't do it. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I would. I would definitely try to trade the pick because I think the value would be there. For <laughs> yes. So that that's immediately where I would look. Maybe if he fell, if the Hawks had like the 13th or the 14th pick and you're just like, there's literally nobody else. Let's take him. I'd be fine with that. But where they're going to be drafting at eight, I mean, there's going to be one of these wings there and I would just take them. Or trade. Yeah, okay. We're, we're, we're in lockstep there. And I, I do kind of like Kobe White. It's just, in, and honestly... The one unfortunate subplot of this uh, of this lottery, if you're someone who covers the Hawks like me, is that you know I, I just haven't talked about White, Garland, and Morant much at all since the lottery, just because they're just not coming to Atlanta. So it's like, all right, well, uh, sorry guys, we'll talk about. I, I wrote about you in some other places, but not on this podcast too much, and uh, they're interesting, but not not fits with Trey Young. When Trey Young is by far your best uh, foundational piece, you can't really take a point guard. That's just the reality. Uh, you could take a center like the Bulls want to with Jackson Hayes when your two best prospects are can centers. You imagine, so that, can you imagine <laughs> if they did that? I mean, I, I saw Sam's tweet. I saw Brian Schroeder was tweeting about this. Can you imagine if they did that in all seriousness? Like, uh, it would be an all time. I mean, burn the internet down at that point in time. If they take if they take Jackson Hayes with Wendell Carter and Lordy Markin and on the roster and like nothing else that you like, it's like, man, the Bulls. You just can't. You can't take a redundant. You can't take multiple centers. We've seen that play out with the Sixers as far as Embiid, Okafor, Noel. You can't take that depth at a position that is so saturated in the league for trade value purposes. That's a different question entirely. We might it's see wild. the Cavs take another combo guard and Darius Garland to pair with Sexton. I think that's more justifiable just because you could, I guess, in theory, play them together, even though it's not a great look in my opinion. But at least those guys can play together in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, and... There's an argument like I wouldn't make it, but I, I did a hit with a, with a lot on Cavs podcast, Chris Manning and those guys, and it was like I could argue that you know, unlike Trey, who is established as a top tier option in the future at point guard, you could if you if you really didn't like Colin Sexton very much from his rookie season, um, you could just say best player available and just take the best player available. You know, even if you because Trey is so good, you can't do it in Atlanta. But if you just didn't believe in Colin, that I suppose you could just take Darius Garland and say figure it out later because he's the best player. I don't know. That'd, that'd be the one argument no, I, you could make there. No, I a hundred percent agree with that. I think that is more justifiable than doing that for them. The center spot. It's kind of a, a contrast with me philosophically. I do agree. I'm not drafting around Colin Sexton. So if you really do think Garland is that caliber of player, I don't personally, but if you do have that feeling, take him. It, it's just kind of like a bad look in retrospect to take two combo guards that aren't really facilitators for others. <laughs> but I definitely think compar- comparatively to Trey young. Yeah. It's, it's a different conversation. To be sure. All right. Uh, before we get to the players individually, what do you make of the trade-up notion? I, I've been talking about this forever now, and now it seems to be more real because everywhere you turn, <laughs> Hawks are uh, in trade rumor stuff with regard to either Hunter or Culver, and I guess I guess maybe Barrett tangentially. Um, are you a trade-up guy in this class? I know, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of against it in a vacuum and more okay with it just in context. I still don't love it, though, and that's just because I don't see the upside with these guys, even if I like Hunter and Culver quite a bit. Yeah, I think I'm generally with you as far as just the value play. Now that the Hawks have 17, I wouldn't hate it if they moved 8 and 17 to move up for Culver. Like, that wouldn't bother me that much, honestly. Like, 8 and yeah. 10 would be too rich. Like, we talked about that before. I'd exactly. think from a straight in the vacuum value standpoint, like, I'm not trading two top 10 picks to move up to four or five. I don't think Culver's that level of talent, even though I do have him in a different tier than Cam and uh, Hunter. So I would like it for them. I think that Culver is a, a good 
fit for several reasons on the Hawks. I, I do like the fit a lot, but as far as like a straight value play, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I'm not going to like sit here and support eight and 17 moving up to, you know, four, but if they did it, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah, that's kind of where I am, honestly. And especially if they legitimately view either Culver or Hunter as in a different tier than the guys that can get an eight, then go ahead and do that. If that's, if that's your board, yes. then go ahead and pull the trigger. And I hate it now. I, I hate it less now. I will say, you know, eight and 10 is too much. Um, flat out, eight and 10 is too much, even though, you know, I actually have Culver at third on my board, which it's sort of a tenuous third, but I do have him third. And, you know, I still wouldn't do that for even for him. Um, it, it's just a lot. That's just too much in this draft. I mean, eight and 17 or 10 and 17. How do you want to look at that? 10, 17, 35 is a popular notion now as well. Like whatever you need to do, it's justifiable. I can make the argument that it's okay. I, you know, eight and ten is too much. That, that's kind of where my 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 line is drawn to. Where like I'll criticize that. Like it, it might work, but you know, if I come on the podcast the next morning and they trade eight and ten for four, <laughs> I'm gonna have a negative take on that, even if I like Jared Culver, and that's who they take. Yeah, I think it's just a process argument as far as like you have to look at the inputs and say, would you rather have two bites at the apple or one if it's that price? And I think I would rather have two bites at the apple. Yeah, for sure, and that's uh, where we are aligned there. Okay, so it's not like you have Culver ahead of Hunter. What do you make of those two guys? Because I agree with you, number one. Um, I have Culver ahead of them, but they are uh, you know, both top five <laughs> top five guys in this class, which means it's, <laughs> it's tough for me to say that out loud, but they, they are for me. And uh, you know, what do you see in those players? Because you know, Culver's gotten some negative attention. I know uh, Nate and Danny really don't like Jared Culver. <laughs> that kind of made the rounds. Um, and Hunter is just so boring, as we talked about before, that it's tough to get too invested <laughs> there. So what, 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 where do you fall on those two guys? First of all, it's hilarious, like the NBA Twitter reaction to Culver. I swear I've seen every single vantage point argued. I've never seen a player where the evaluation was so different. <laughs> like you have some guys that are like, this guy's Paul George. He should be the number one pick in the class. And then you have Nate and Danny, of course. They hate him. They don't probably think he's a top 10 pick. So it's just even like every little part of his game is like speed everybody disagrees on. Um, shooting off the dribble and like pull-up shooting. Defense. Uh, just gen- all of it. Defense. It's crazy. Like it's literally every part of his game. So – I mean, for me, what I like most about Culver is he really feels the game. And you you see that when you watch him night in and night out is he knows how to play and he plays the right way. I think that's where he fits in with the Hawks because I think both Trey and Herder do that especially. And, you know, obviously his shooting's not as good. But as far as dribble pass, um, especially in a secondary setting, I think he's going to look more athletic in the NBA as far as attacking gaps. A lot of times, you know, at Texas Tech, he was attacking – from a live dribble in a pick and roll setting where he doesn't have a great first step. He accelerates pretty well, but his first step and his handle aren't like the most deceptive, even though he's very, very flexible as an athlete. And that's why I like him a lot too, is you see a lot of, I see more shot making potential with him than someone like RJ Barrett, who's more of a rigid shooter, more of a step back guy. I think Culver can shoot fadeaways a little bit more self creation acumen in the the mid post, for example. So I like that element of his game. Obviously the shooting is the most important ingredient here. If he could really shoot the lights out, he'd be the number two pick in, in the class for me pretty easily um but i've never seen anything like his mechanics before (laughs) as far as his release is just very weird he overhauled it we've talked about this in the past as far as moving the shot line which was exaggerated to the left more a little bit more centralized not near where it should be and he kind of hesitates at the top of his release sometimes can shoot on the way down there's just not a lot of consistency i feel like in his mechanics but i think his touch is pretty good uh it's worth noting again that he's improving his jump shots it's still in refinement mode so it could improve technique wise i I think off the catch it's going to look better his numbers this year his three-point percentage is suppressed a lot because he's taking so many shots off the dribble as the only option on that team really he just took a lot of you know pull-up threes i think that's going to 
escalate back more towards what we saw his freshman year with 38% or so. And then defensively, I mean, he's a really smart defensive player. They played that specific scheme where they funnel everything to the baseline. He was really good at executing that. He's very good lateral agility. Doesn't have that crazy hunter length, of course. He doesn't have the 7-2 wingspan. You see the lack of reach at times, but high IQ defender with great hands. Good team defender can lapse a little bit, but I think in a, in a scheme where he's not the focal point of an offense, we saw him guard like the Trey Young, his, his freshman year at Texas Tech. He was the point of attack defender on Trey. I thought he actually did a much better job than guys like Herb Jones, who got super touted for that, even though they didn't really guard him that well. And I thought Culver held up really well. So I think there's some untapped defensive upside if you lessen the usage. So that's kind of where I come down is like I, I like him as a basketball player. He's just really smart. He's cerebral. If the shot comes around. You know, he's a very quality starter to me with some upside to be, I don't know, like all-star because that that goes into like, can you score a ton? But he can be an impact starter to me if everything goes right. Yeah, I do think that. And the reason why I have Culver ahead of Hunter, really the biggest reason is that I I just see there's more offensive upside and more on ball creation ability. You know, Hunter. I think what you see, what you get, you wrote, you wrote, you wrote a big thing about him that I I really liked earlier in the, uh, in the process. And, you know, Hunter is easily projectable, and if he's if he was there for the Hawks, and the Hawks ended up with him on draft night, I would be pleased with that. He's a very a nice player and a very nice supporting piece. I just think Culver's upside's a little bit higher um, because he can have the ball in his hands and create a little bit more. But you know, I'm not like over the moon. Like there's some people that think that he can be a star, as you're saying. I would not project that. Maybe it's a five percent outcome at the end um, that he can get to that level. But you know, if you buy the shooting as being solid or better than he's a top five guy in this class. I, I don't really see a way around that because everything else that I see, I really like, you know, the passing is really interesting. I think his defense is going to be good. Maybe not spectacular, but solidly good. And, you know, if he can just make shots, it's going to work on some level, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the key is like, if you're going to be a really high upside wing, you're not usually like a Swiss army knife. You're more of like you're an impact shot maker off the dribble. A lot of those guys are just a crazy shooter. So I don't really see that in his outcomes. It's kind of unfair to project that on him just because where he's working from like free throw percentage, three point percentage and like just his mechanics in general. I don't know if it's ever going to be high level enough, but again, I think for the system fit with the Hawks specifically too, like he doesn't have to be like an ultra star necessarily. He just has to be like a really quality starter. I mean, the Hawks are probably going to need one more star eventually, but they at least have a, a strong foundation to build on. But you hit the nail on the head as far as his intuitiveness as a playmaker, his decision making. And that's what really separates him from, you know, someone like Hunter who's much more rigid with his skill level. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, to Hunter a little bit, do you do you see Hunter as more of a three, or are you in the camp that he needs to be playing some four to have that work? I think he's an offensive four, ideally, but he's a defensive three. Um, I don't like him as a backline defender. Uh, he is not a good rim protector. He doesn't have those instincts. It's not the pack line either. Like People want to say that. They made the same excuses for DeAndre Ayton. Sometimes guys just don't have instincts to protect the rim. You see Hunter... He can stand two feet away from the ball and not contest a shot around the basket. And that scares me next to John Collins um, as far as defensively at the four. But I think at the four offensively, you want to get him where teams opposing defenders have longer closeouts. And you can really get out to him. I think his his release is a little bit slower, but he does make shots when he has time and space. So when you force those longer closeouts, he can pick and pop a little bit too. That would be useful. So that's kind of how I see him is more of like a straight line attack closeouts guy. He can play in the mid post. He can get to his left and like shoot shots off the dribble. I think there's a little untapped upside as far as his self-creation, even though his handling game is pretty rigid. I just don't think you're getting plus skill level if you plug him into the three offensively. He's not that he's just not that skilled. 
Yeah, I'm with you. And the only reason why that even is, you know, it plays into things a little bit because of the fact that you have Collins and you have some interesting stuff there. And, you know, the Hawks have this glaring hole right now at the three, but they don't really have anybody. Um, I think Culver and, Culver and Herter can really work together. I think Hunter, Hunter would also work, to be honest with you. But, um, yep. you know, at the end of the day, the one thing, one of the few things that I can say with some confidence coming into this draft with the Hawks is that they're they're going to draft someone who can play the three, <laughs> somewhere. That's going to happen. I'm pretty sure. Um, how many of yeah. those guys, you know, that's up for debate, and how they get there is up for debate. But I think I'll be pretty surprised if one of the Hunter Culver reddish combos not on the roster when June 21st gets here. That's just, it's not really a hot take, but you know, it's just the way that it seems to be falling at this point in time. I could be wrong. But that seems to be one of the likely things that I would put out there. I mean, that's like one of the safest bets for me in the class is, I mean, just look at the board right now. It's probably going to be Reddish or Hunter in some fashion. Uh, if you are ignoring the, the trade-up idea, which could still happen, but you, of course, never bet on trades in the draft because there's so many moving parts so and moving variables. So Reddish and Hunter, I would be surprised if one of those isn't the pick at eight. What they do at 10, I have no idea. <laughs> no, Nobody knows. I mean, I was going to ask you to sort of end this thing. Um, what, like what like a perfect draft would look like for you for the Hawks, obviously within reason, and I know you know what that means. Um, so not you know, not Zion, uh, but other than that, like what, what what would you be looking to get? I mean, if it, is it stay put? Is it is it trying to move up? I think Brandon Clark will be involved in it, obviously in some way in some way, just to keep the uh, the brand going. But what what is a perfect what does a perfect night look like for you as a uh, pseudo Hawks fan that you are? Yeah, so I don't really see any realistic way that Culver falls to eight. That would be the perfect That's night. That's not happening. Uh, yeah. Col- Culver eight, Clark ten, and like Goga seventeen or something. That'd be awesome. But <laughs> there I'm not gonna. I'll be realistic. Like, I don't really have a, a stark opinion between Reddish and Hunter as far as who's at eight. So either one of them is fine. Like, this is my takeaway with this class: is like, if you want a prospect prospects to be good you want them to go to atlanta so i think they can fit all of these guys in i would definitely choose one of those two over nasir little though i will say that at eight which i think they're going to do too as well and I, I suspect that reddish is going to be the guy that falls to eight so we can just operate with that at 10 i would take brandon clark personally i think that would be an awesome fit i think trey young would be able to optimize him offensively uh, i don't know if that's the route they'll go i actually think they'll probably go jackson hayes based on the intel we have but we i I have no idea really and then goga i love at 17 um but i also think that those two might be interchangeable we've seen clark fall to 17 in some mocks i think espn's most recent iteration has that so it'd be cool to split those two Uh, i think even if you take two front court players you can play those guys interchangeably with each other and you need a little bit of depth there anyway i know they're high on amari spellman i'm not as high personally i think the clark's just a much (laughs) much better prospect so i would take the best players on the board and i think the Hawks are in an area where they have some there's some value picks available. I like the 10 to 17, 10 to 18 range in this class. There's some useful guys that I, I have a lot higher by board than some people do. So I, I think they should take advantage of that. Yeah, there is some value to be had. And hopefully we will uh, be celebrating some interesting fits and future um, potential things going on after June 20th. And we'll have plenty to discuss. Well, uh, Cole. Thank you for giving me all the time, man. I really appreciate it. Please plug yourself. I know you've always got stuff coming, including, I'm sure, a big board in some fashion in the next couple of days. So uh, tell people where they can find your work if they haven't already. Yeah, as usual on thestepian.com, I just wrote a 41-minute piece on Brandon Clark. So if you didn't get enough information in this podcast, you can consult that. Uh, if you put to yell at me if you don't want Clark on the Hawks, which it seems like is the majority of Hawks fans. But uh, we have we're going to have big boards coming out pretty much every day this week. Uh, Ricky just came out with his tonight. I will probably eventually post something. I, I don't haven't decided what I'm going to do yet with that. Um, 
Sam Bassini's Game Theory Podcast. I usually guest on that once a week. It's going to be twice this week. We just did a mock draft episode, so I had two of the Hawks picks for that, so you can check that out. And we will have Sam's top 10 big board episode out Wednesday afternoon, I believe. So that'll kind of round out the process. Yeah, and those are uh, those are must listen if you enjoy the NBA draft. Uh, I always say that uh, you and Sam are two of the best in the business. So I really appreciate all the content and uh, you joining me. And listen, Hawks fans uh, always clamor for more. I think you probably are the number one most requested name that I get in terms of once Cole coming back on. Uh, so you came back on. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Anytime, man. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. We'll have one more show at least before the draft. So please stay tuned, subscribe, all that fun stuff, and we'll see everybody else late in the week.